allies and anybody that wants to learn more about the LGBT plus community. My name is Zanardi and I'm so glad all your beautiful faces are here. Welcome back to episode 6, all you beautiful people. I just want to start off by announcing that if you do want to be featured on the blog or the podcast, the podcast you have to be in Southern California, but if you want your story to be featured on the blog, if you want to get your story out there and potentially have the uh, the reach to help others, to touch others, then go ahead and email podcast at thealphabetmafia.com in the headline put blog inquiry, and then just give me a little bit about yourself. You don't have to write your full story to begin with, just a little bit of your background, your location, your age. And then uh, if we decide to move forward, we'll, we'll ask for a story, and your story can actually be featured in our blog. You can remain anonymous if you elect that or not. You can get, get writer's credit. But I did want to announce that, that we have our, our blog format of this as well, kind of. It's, it's basically a podcast just written in only from only in written form. Other than that, today's guest is Will Fisher. Will is a phenomenal man. He is actually a life coach, and specifically, he deals with a lot of gay people or, or people who are struggling with their identity. Um, that is one of the big topics he covers. He's not the ex- he's not exclusively a gay life coach, but a lot of his clients are gay, and a lot of their problems do stem from being gay. So he is able to offer a a unique and qualified perspective on certain situations in this podcast that we touch in. I had a very, very wonderful conversation with Will. I don't want to spoil it, so without further ado, let's just jump right into it. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Absolutely. I'm glad you can make it today. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Awesome. So let's let's talk a little bit about um, your personal background, you know, where you grew up, what you yeah. do for work, things like that. Cool. Yeah. So I grew up here in San Diego, in Encinitas specifically, and had a pretty beautiful childhood in many ways, but mm-hmm. certainly struggled as a gay person here. Yeah. Um, it was a, this is going to date myself, but it was <laughs> in the 80s and early 90s. So I graduated high school in 96. Mm. Um, so being gay was a different, a different reality back mm-hmm. then, right? It was before there was a lot of gay people to follow in media yeah and uh it was not talked about it was kind of just this under the radar thing Mm -hmm. um and so as a person who was gay it was very confusing because it was like what is this and what do i do with it Mm -hmm. you know um and we didn't have nowadays there's a lgbt center in north county which i'm a big part of i support them and produce events for them uh but that wasn't a resource that was available to me and you know, North County is its own little bubble. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I wasn't in Hillcrest. Right. Um, so I wasn't seeing other gay people or I didn't have any resources to rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, so although my early childhood was very beautiful and it was idyllic in many ways, my childhood around like eighth grade sort of took a, a, a bad turn oh, wow. um, because of my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, it wasn't that I came out. Mm-hmm. Because again, like I didn't even recognize that as an option. Right. Um, but I was a really popular kid, actually. Like I, um, you know, was friends with all the most popular kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I missed school, and rumors spread about me. And the next day it was like I oh. lost my social status. Oh. The rumors were really weird. Yeah. Like weirdly specific. 
So one was that I shopped for women's lingerie, uh, and one was that I put uh, gerbils up my butt. Oh my god! Yeah, what? <laughs> I mean now I can laugh at it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't know if you were aware of this culture or phenomenon, but there was a this rumor during that time that Richard Gere put gerbils up his butt, <laughs> and so I guess that just got. La- but it wasn't even that Will Fisher is gay. It was that I shopped for women's lingerie and I put gerbils on my butt. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. So that so I missed school one day and these two very popular girls um, started those rumors. I don't know. It's funny thinking back to this story. I don't know mm. how I know that it was them, and how I got the info that it was that that's very specific info. Yeah. But I know that. Um, and it was like night or day, night and day, right? So the day before I had high social status. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I would sit down at the lunch table and these guys who were like my best friends all my life would oh. get up and switch to another seat. And the, the people on the lower social status ladder mm-hmm. were like making fun of me openly in like chem class, you know? Oh and it was God. like, and I wasn't like, I, yes, I was high in the social status before then, but I wasn't like a dick. Right. I wasn't like making fun of people. Yeah. But but no one below me would ever feel empowered to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. So it was definitely like also this big ego blow of like, oh my God, this kid who usually is the target mm-hmm. is actually targeting me and I can't really do anything about it. Wow. How... Do you know why or how those rumors started? Did, were these girls mad at you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, one of them I had dated very briefly. Okay. And one of them... I'm trying to think if this happened. And how did that go, the dating girls, obviously? With... Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> not very well, right? I, mean, I guess. Yeah, like, we dated so briefly, mm-hmm. um, that girl and I. And she's actually a person of color, mm. which might... I always kind of, when I think back to this story, I thought I lean into the compassion there because North County is very white, yeah. you know, and she was a minority. Right. And so I wonder if that came into play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other girl, yeah, I don't know why she teamed up with her and they did this together, but um, yeah, I'm not sure what wow. their motivation was. <laughs> it's interesting. So what yeah. so what happens from there? Your social status falls. You're sitting alone at lunch. Yeah. Um, how do you navigate that and handle that? And and at this point, yeah. how do you realize you were gay? Or you said you couldn't come out. So yeah, you... no, I still I you know certainly had feelings mm-hmm. for guys, um, but I again didn't know that as an option. Right. And so I I certainly wasn't being honest with myself about it. I was pushing it away as much as I could. Um, I, you know, I always had this very idyllic American dream fantasy future for myself Mm -hmm. where I'd have a wife and kids and the good job and the white picket fence. Like I always envisioned that for myself. So the thought that that wasn't available to me was terrifying. So... No, I wasn't out, and even after the rumors, I wasn't out. Um, and the way I navigated, it was this interesting space to be in because I wasn't willing to to publicly be a lower social status, like to be open about that. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want people to know that I had fallen. Yeah. So I would kind of hide, and what that looked like was hiding 
sometimes in the bathroom mm-hmm. at lunch, sometimes in the library, yeah. you know, basically isolated, right. you know, because I didn't want that experience of people avoiding me and I didn't want to have that feeling or yeah. that exposure I mean, that, hurts. that I wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the hardest. It was the hardest time of my life. Wow. Mm-hmm. And and so at, during all this, you are hide, running away from being gay. You're mm-hmm. not acknowledging it, even though you know something's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, how do you go from there? So so you're what's go, what is it like going into high school? How do you well get out of this? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, I ran away. I went. Mm-hmm. I not literally ran from my home, sure. but I ran away from the situation, mm-hmm. and I shift. I switched schools. Okay. Yeah. So I wow. went to a private school um, in San Diego called Francis Parker. Mm-hmm. So I went from Degueno here in Encinitas to Francis Parker, and I was there for a year, mm-hmm. um, and just gave myself a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I actually met a girl whose dad I came to discover was gay, mm-hmm. um, and it was like we, are, me and the girl had a friendship, and then that was revealed. And then our friendship increased, or I felt more comfortable, and so I still wasn't out to her. Right. Um, in fact, I think she had feelings for me. It was another kind of complicated thing. Um, but then I also was in a. I was doing theater throughout my life. So, uh, but I still hadn't met any gay people. But I ended up doing this play, mm-hmm. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, down in Carlsbad. Yeah. And the baker and one of my brothers in the show was gay and like very, very gay mm-hmm. and like very <laughs> like enjoying his life in this big way. And so I got to see that possibility for the first time that yeah. you can be gay and happy and live an exciting, fulfilling life. And so I started hanging out with him and going to the neighborhood, mm-hmm. which my school was down there and I was 16 now. And then eventually came out. Okay. Um, and then came out to that girl that I mentioned at the school, and sure. you know felt accepted by her. Was able to talk to her dad, and um, yeah. And then the year later, I went to a boarding school um, where it was even more accepted. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was the opposite. It was like I started coming out there, and people were like, "That's so fucking cool." At yeah. boarding school. Uh huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Well, it was an arts boarding school. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it was like theater nerds and that, art that makes weirdos. More sense. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of like a military. My no, mind was like a yeah, military yeah. or like some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's this really great school called Idlewild Arts Academy. Okay. In Idlewild. Yeah. Nice. So, so that's when life started getting better. You yeah. say is. So you had that role model or, or that gay person that, mm-hmm. that you could you saw was happy, mm-hmm. and you decided to come out. Did you have any sexual experiences with a guy before coming out, or um, what did the process good look question. like? No. No. Uh uh-uh. uh Okay. No, I came. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I yeah. guess a lot of guys probably experiment before, but I was young. Like mm-hmm. nowadays, coming out at 16 is more normal. Mm-hmm. Back then, in the you know mid 90s, the average age of folks coming out was 20s. Yeah. You know, so I would go to Hillcrest and hang out at the coffee shop because I couldn't go to the bars, obviously. Right. And there was maybe like three other guys under you know in that age right. range. So it was like very uncommon i think for folks to come out so young yeah oh absolutely it was just a different time yeah exactly. <laughs> it wasn't as accepted yeah how, how was your family life and how did they 
take this coming out? Yeah, so I kept it secret from them. Okay. Yeah, so I lived this kind of dual life where I was going to Hillcrest and like enjoying my gay world and then I'd come home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the first like, the first kind of months after coming out, I was still so terrified. Like, you know, I think sometimes there's this idea that we come out and then it's just like, yay, now we're free and we can just be ourselves. And it was not like that for me. I remember I would drive home from Hillcrest and I think that the big terror for me was HIV AIDS, Mm. um, which again, that was a whole different world too. Like AIDS was a death sentence. um, And... It was during a time, again, in the mid-90s, where um, it was, like, all over. Like, the propaganda Mm -hmm. for HIV and AIDS, like, warning people was, like, common on TV. You'd watch TV, and it was, like, all these ads that were, like, fear tactic, like, making you super afraid of getting HIV. And so that was, like, in my subconsciousness. So when I came out, Mm -hmm. I literally thought that me coming out as a gay man meant that I was committing to death by AIDS. Mm, Like, I thought that was the reality. Like, if I come out as a gay man, I'm probably going to get... It's, like, almost 100% certain that I will get HIV and AIDS, and that's how I will die. Wow. That's that's very upsetting. It's got to be scary. Scary as fuck. And I remember I would drive back from Hillcrest. I'd hang out with the friends or whatever, and I'd drive back, and I'd start thinking about it. I I can remember sweat, like literal drops of sweat would, like, pour down my, my, from my armpits. And what's interesting, reflecting back on it, is that the fact that I believed that so certainly Mm -hmm. and still came out. Mm-hmm. Like that it meant more to me to come out than it did to avoid death by AIDS. Right. Like I accepted that sentence. Yeah. Knowing that I needed to come out so badly that even if it meant that I was going to die of HIV and AIDS, that, yeah. that I would still I would still living a better life wow. by letting that, you know, re- that truth be right. revealed. Yeah. Right. And, and so... Um, you still didn't come out to your family, though. When did, no, when yeah. did this when did this happen? What was this process like? Yeah, so I, I stayed in the closet with my family. So it was very convenient because I went to boarding school. So, right. you know, <laughs> and um, a very accepting did, boarding school. Did they suspect you were gay? I mean, not to push stereotypes, but yeah. being a theater kid and, and art. Yeah, and yeah. So later when I did come out to them, yeah, certainly okay. they all were not very surprised at all. Gotcha. Um, but it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't something we talked about. Um so yeah, and the the school I was at was this boarding school, and it was still like GSAs, for example, were were fairly new. That idea was new, and What's so a I, GSA? I oh yeah, they don't call them that anymore. <laughs> oh, the Gay Straight uh, Alliance. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay took cool. me a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I founded our first GSA on campus, wow. which felt exciting, and um, I've recently gone back and spoken to the GSA that's there now as yeah. like the founding father. Oh my you know? gosh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it felt really old, but it was also <laughs> really cool too. Um, and to hear like what things they are challenged by, like what how things have shifted and mm-hmm. what it's like. Um, when I was running it, it was like all it was mostly straight people would come. Everyone would come. It was like you know, fifty people would show up and we'd watch a gay movie. Basically, yeah. it was like our meeting. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and we we put together some um, big events and stuff that would be around like AIDS AIDS Week or you know different events like that. 
Um, so, okay, the family. Sorry, I keep getting okay. on sidetracks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I was at boarding school, so that was convenient. And then I went away to college. And again, like, I didn't really need to come out to them sure. right away. I finally got the courage to come out to my siblings. So I started with them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they were not surprised but and supportive. And then I came out to my mom first. Even though my mm-hmm. parents are married, I came out to them separately because mm-hmm. um, my dad is conservative Republican, mm-hmm. listens to Rush Limbaugh, very traditional, like kind of masculine, you know, energy. Yeah. And so I wasn't comfortable coming out to him until maybe three years after I came out to my mom. Mm-hmm. I-, I waited till I was done with college. I always joke that, and I think it's a half joke, that I wanted college paid for. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'd wait a strategic there. But I came out to him... As we were driving from uh, Hartford, where I went to school, mm-hmm. to Tulane, to New Orleans, where my cousin went to school, he drove across the country, picked me up in Hartford, and then we were driving down there to celebrate our gradu- all our graduations, like yeah. me and my cousins. And on the way there, um, on the way down, we were about to pass um, Dollywood. Okay. And so... I thought, what better opportunity than Dollywood to come yeah. up to my dad? <laughs> <laughs> the iconic Dolly Parton. <laughs> yeah. And Dolly was like, I grew up listening to Dolly Parton. Like, yeah. they love country music. So she was like, her and Willie Nelson were my favorite singers growing up. And it's very much connected to my parents. Right. So I'm like, this is where I'm going to do it. And so I, as we're like getting closer and closer to Dollywood, I'm driving and he's sitting in the passenger. I came out to my mom the same way too, where mm-hmm. we were both driving. I don't. It's just a thing I do, I guess. <laughs> and uh, in both situations, what I used to get myself to actually say it was uh, a, a deadline. And the deadline um, in both settings was a, an exit, okay. right? So with my mom, like I felt more comfortable and I was able to like start the speech and whatever. With my dad, I like. And then tell her. With my dad, it's like I chose, I don't know, let's say exit 17. You know, so we're like going into Dollywood. And I'm like, I'm going to tell him by exit 17. I'm going to tell him by exit 17. And the numbers are like getting lower and lower. And it's like 19 and 18. I'm thinking I really should like start the speech. Yeah. But I'm like petrified. And then we're like almost at 17. And I just blurt out. I'm like, Dad, I'm gay. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) And he was like, what? That's it? Car screen? Yeah, well, I was driving, so I just kept okay. going, going. So he was like, that's it? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, that's how you're going to tell me? And I'm like, well, there's not much more to say. Uh, and he's like, you're not, no speech? No, like, <laughs> so I think he was taken a little off guard. I still sure. haven't told him that it happened because of this, like, arbitrary deadline that oh I gave gosh. myself. Um, but he responded saying, you know, that he wasn't surprised, that he, mm-hmm. you know, knew that I was always had a lot of girlfriends around and he, but none of them were my girlfriend. Yeah. And uh, his regrets for me was that I wouldn't have uh, kids. And I said, well, things are changing. Yeah. Things are changing still. Mm-hmm. And his second regret is that sex with a woman is so good. <laughs> I wouldn't get to experience that. And I was like, well, you never know, Pops. Right. Um, so we got to our hotel in, in Dollywood, this like campy hotel. And it bef- I went to call my boyfriend to tell him that I told my dad. So I was like leaving the room to go tell him. And before I left, he's, he stopped me and said, 
Willie, I want you to know I love you. Mm. And he, we're not a family that says that. So mm. it was honestly the first time and one of the only times I've heard my dad say that. Wow. And it was the time that I needed to hear it the most. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, that's amazing. So overall, very supportive family. Yeah. And yeah. now they're super supportive. Um, my mom just like lights up in my gay world. Like she yeah. loves my gay friends. I was living in New York City for a long time, and so I had a great crew of gay friends, and she calls them her posse, and they love her. They call her Mama Fisher, Mm -hmm. and we all go out together, and she just feels super free and comfortable. Um, My dad also is super supportive, and he... He is funnily like very supportive of my drag. Mm-hmm. Like coming out as a drag queen was like a second coming out <laughs> yeah, process. I'm sure. But they both love my drag persona and support me in a big way in oh my, my drag life too. Yeah. yeah, awesome. So you do drag. Yeah. Um, how that I, this is, you're be the first drag queen on, <laughs> on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how did you get into that? And and you know what. It, what does it all entail for anyone that's curious? Sure. Yeah, I'm clearly like by the size of my beard, I'm not doing it all the time. I'm not a professional drag queen, but I um, would consider myself a semi-professional drag queen. Okay. And that for many years I was paid to do it mm-hmm. regularly for various gigs and I still do it. Now I do it more frequently uh, for charity, to host events. Mm-hmm. Uh, I produce a big drag show mm-hmm. now annually. I did it for the first time last year, yeah. and I'll do it again this year on April 21st, Okay. benefiting the center, and it's the it's at the Belly Up. So last year was the largest drag show to ever take place in North County. Wow. Yeah. Belly Up in La Jolla? Uh-huh. Oh, it's or in uh, Solana Beach. Solana Beach. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, we get some of the RuPaul's girls, and we, yeah, you'll have to come. Oh, wow. I'm definitely coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And anyone listening in, in San Diego, you can come too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's a really, really, really fun event. It's called Drag Takeover, because um, we, like, take over this usually straight club. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, and But a lot of street people come too. It's a great, it's a great event. Um so yeah, I started at the boarding school, mm-hmm. like was the first time I did drag, you know, I think we just were all, we, we didn't watch TV or we, we had to entertain ourselves. And right. I, I was one of the first people to come out at that school. But once I came out, it was like a domino effect. Like people started coming out right and left wow. and I started the GSA. So yeah, I, I joke that like I had a revolving door where the kids were like coming into my room. I was a prefect and they would like, yeah come out to me right and left and I and I somehow ended up with a dorm I I wonder if this was purposeful or not but I ended up with a a wing so I was the prefect of the wing Mm -hmm. of like mostly gay kids Mm -hmm. um so yeah so we would do gay kid things like on a Friday night oh you know let's go to the thrift store and buy (laughs) you know sequin gowns and and dress up yeah. and take pictures with their because it's an art school too so like use cool photographs and like do photo shoots right <laughs> so that was where I started um but then I would say it was in college uh you know I was in theater school so I was connected to other theater folks mm-hmm. and a boyfriend um brought me stuff from New York City I was in school in Connecticut and got me all done up for Halloween and then I just like had the bug you know then it was just like (laughs) so then when I graduated from college 
that same boyfriend, he and I started a drag troupe. We called mm. ourselves Snapdragon. Oh, wow. And so we had other kids who went to like AMDA, so other like theater kids mm-hmm. who were gay and who liked to explore drag. We would all dress up and we'd go out to the bars and clubs together mm-hmm. and you know, just carry on. And then we started producing parties. Mm -hmm. So we would host different parties at different venues and Mm -hmm. we would sometimes put on these big shows because again, we were theater people. So we would put on these annual players balls, they were called, Mm -hmm. where we'd have DJs and open bar and people would pay to get in. And then we'd put on these like big spectacular shows, usually to a theme. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we had like a weekly event and a monthly event and that's incredible. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I admittedly have, have never dressed in drag. I've just I'm interested and never really had the opportunity. Hmm. Um, my When my friends were doing it, I had just come out, and so mm-hmm. I didn't have a wig or anything. Uh-huh. I was just starting to hang out with my gay group of friends, as yeah. I call them. And so they were all doing it, and I was just kind of sitting there like watching it, enjoying it. Yeah, but yeah. I, I didn't have a wig or a dress or anything, but um, cool. I haven't had that chance to do it since. But it's something that you know would be fun, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got lots of stuff right down there in go. my garage. <laughs> I'm going to hook you up. There we go. <laughs> um, so tell me about your profession, because you have now taken your experience as, as a gay man mm-hmm. and created a... A, a career out of it um, by helping others. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's that's a, a nice way to look at it. I mean, I would say that I've felt called to support folks in the community ever since my trauma as a 13 year old in eighth grade when my when that happened to me. Right. Yeah. So my original call was really geared towards LGBTQ youth, and I'm still very passionate about supporting youth. Mm-hmm. I feel in many ways that they are the most vulnerable and at risk in our in our community. Yeah. Um so my my the way that manifested in New York City was I was supporting the Ali Frenet Center, which is the nation's largest organization dedicated to housing and providing services for homeless LGBTQ youth. Mm. So these are young people who found the courage to come out of the closet to their families and were consequently kicked out of their homes. This is usually the story. Right. And many of them are from New York, but a lot of them would just leave wherever they were from and move to New York City because mm-hmm. they thought it'd be a safe haven and would end up on the street, you know, mm-hmm. either hustling or, um, you know, and oftentimes end up on drugs and, mm-hmm. HIV, you know, contracting STIs um, is, you know, the downward spiral that, right. that, that starts with rejection. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you're, you're, you were working with, with the center that was helping? Yeah, I was working do... with the center, producing events for them and just okay. doing general development work for them mm-hmm. and helping with some programming. And then I started dabbling in the world of personal growth, mm-hmm. mostly for myself. Um, I was learning about other possibilities of like how I can live my life and like starting to feel empowered to experience those and take on new venues for creating success that was more unique to me. Um, And so through that process, I quit my full-time job with that Mm -hmm. center and started consulting for them and for other various nonprofits. Meanwhile, I did a master's program in applied theater. Um, So with that degree, I gained the capacity to use 
theater for education purposes and to engage with communities around issues that impact them. Mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of work around uh, masculinity, gender, homophobia. Mm -hmm. So I would go to classrooms and I would work with young people, usually like a health class. Yeah. Um, Are these like public school health classes? No, or? it's generally private schools okay. that would book me. I don't, you know, I think it's a little trickier for public schools. Sure. But so private schools would book me and I'd come in and I would engage the students in these conversations. And I would often do it through activities to like mm -hmm. make it more comfortable, you know. So I would use applied theater techniques to work with them so mm -hmm. that we would then have these really deep conversations around sexuality. So these kids who were my age when I was rejected are talking openly to a gay man, yeah. asking the questions that they're curious about. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording. Like yeah. that is the cure to ignorance and hate is education. Yeah. And so giving these young people that opportunity um, was really powerful. And then in terms of applied theater, it would also look like practicing so if these kids are like well you know i hear people say like that's so gay like that i don't know if that happens so much anymore but that was a big thing for a while yeah and so it was like well you know how does that impact you how do you think it impacts the, the gay students mm -hmm. around you who might not be out yet and so they would talk about that and then well what do you want to do about it and then they'd say well i want to like speak up okay yeah. well do you think you're ready to do that uh, maybe i don't know well let's try it yeah so then we jump into it and i would role play and i'm like you know we're on the basketball court and i'm like oh dude that's so gay <laughs> and then they say like why why are you going to say that and then i would start role playing it and i so i don't wow. it's not as easy as just like oh well, i'm going to speak up about it it's like are you well let's see if let's see you try to do that yeah so that you can practice it right now and then be able to bring it into real life. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks. That, that, that you were able to do something like that and then that thing yeah. type of thing even exists because for the most part, I don't know, now do, do schools in sex ed classes, do they talk about gay people? I mean, I'm sure there's private I schools. I think they don't. do, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's a mixed bag, yeah. right? And it's definitely something I wanna bring into my my offerings out here mm -hmm. um i yeah I'm, I'm happy that we're talking about this because it'll light up that fire in me a little more yeah because uh, it certainly is an intention of mine to to bring that kind of work to the public schools and private schools out here um but yeah i think it's important work i mean i think it could have saved me a lot of of heartache um, oh absolutely so then so that's one area and then i also ended up through my experimentation and exploration of personal growth, ended up supporting a LGBT retreat center in upstate New York. Okay. And so I produced a big queer music festival that benefited their queer youth programming. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing that, I discovered this center and I started spending time there and, and started experimenting with the modalities of personal growth and healing that they were offering at this center mm -hmm. um, that catered to mostly to gay, queer, bi, trans men. Um, they had like a big drag closet. It was <laughs> like a very warm, loving, empowering community. Um, so I started spending more time there. They ended up hiring me as a consultant uh, to help them. They're a nonprofit as well. So they hired me to help develop their practice as a nonprofit and bring in more money and create more programming. And so I started living there part time. So I would I had a cabin in the middle of the woods, a standalone cabin with no electricity, no plumbing. Mm -hmm. And I would go spend a couple weeks there and help the center grow. 
and then I would go back to my crazy New York City nightlife <laughs> and like be throwing big fabulous events and drag and like consulting for nonprofits and yeah. like doing the New York City thing for two weeks and then I'd uh, go back to the woods and be off the grid for two weeks <laughs> and it was like this crazy like mind fuck like right. flip thing um sounds kind of fun it was just amazing. beginning yeah <laughs> it was amazing because every time I'd get to the woods after two weeks in the city I'd be like oh my god right. this is so nice and I'd be looking at the stars and and then after two weeks of that, I'd be like, okay, I need some excitement. I'd get to the city and be yeah. like, wow, <laughs> I need god, some vodka, so cool. I need some music. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a cool. It was an interesting balance. Um, so during that time again, I was exploring different healing modalities, and you know, because I would be able to take these workshops to sure. people from all over the world who are visionaries and leaders in that kind of work, who are also part of the gay community, mm-hmm. um, were there in my backyard offering yeah. stuff so I was taking it and then I would start teaching and start leading workshops and hosting full-blown retreats mm-hmm. um, then I met a coach I met a life coach a gay life coach okay. and he was just starting his journey and he took me on as a client so I started working with him and really recognized the value of working with a life coach uh, ended up being asked by the retreat center to serve as their executive director. Oh, wow. So when that happened, I realized that this was like a full-time commitment. I left my apartment in Brooklyn, moved there full-time, got a better cabin, but mm. <laughs> still lived in a cabin off the grid yeah. and, um, started running this gay retreat center. Um, and it was then that I, well, I, I was developing a lot of programming for gay youth. So I would... I had a couple camps. I had this uh, Arts in the Woods camp, mm-hmm. which was for uh, young adults who were homeless or at risk, would come up from Boston and Philly and New York City, mm-hmm. and they'd spend a week in the woods doing art and creating community together. Oh, wow. And then I created a leadership academy, which was called the Easton Mountain, was the name of the retreat center, the Easton Mountain Leadership Academy. Mm-hmm. And that was a program where the young people would come for different modules, and they would gain uh, skills in advocacy and gay history and just learning to be an empowered community member who is supporting change and transformation for the community. Um, And then I had this opportunity to take a coach's certification program um, and it was up at the center. The guy who was leading it happens to be a gay man who was the former International Coaches Federation president, okay. which is the highest standard of coaching. Right. And so he and I were talking about this program that he was going to offer at the retreat center mm-hmm. for gay coaches, for co- for gay people who want to be coaches. Yeah. And it was going to specifically support people to coach gay people. And it would be a general certification, like you can coach anyone with this program, but they would have that add-on. Um, tailored to LGBT. Yeah, tailored to coaching LGBT. Oh, okay, coaching. Yeah. yeah, and primarily for LGBT people who are coaching other LGBT people. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So he said, you know, we've got a, a spot that would be better to be filled in order to make these numbers work. Why don't you take it? You know, take the program for free. You'll even if you never coach, mm-hmm. you'll use you'll be able to use it in your role as an executive. Sure. And I was like, yeah, let's give this a shot. Yeah. And so then having worked with a coach myself I knew it'd be valuable and then I really took to the work and and fell in love with it and uh, have since been focusing on that as my career coaching using life coaching skills and techniques to help 
gay, queer, bi, trans men transform into their best self and, mm. and live their best life. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> Doing great work. I'm, Thank you. Yeah. So what I, what can you, do you have any examples of how um, that like that helping someone looks, what, what does that look like? Um, yeah. What is it, you know, you don't have to, obviously don't share any personal sure, details sure. or any necessarily real life examples, but it, you know, someone comes to you struggling, what is, what, how do you help them? What does that look like? Yeah, so it's it really varies mm -hmm. case to case, um, depending on the needs of the individual. Some of the work that I do is very focused on their experience as a gay person, but there's plenty of clients who I'm using the same techniques and strategies as I would a, a straight person. Sure, it's not coming in as a bigger as a big theme necessarily for all my clients, um, and in those cases, it's it ranges from their balance of work and social life, mm -hmm. their, you know, desire to get a promotion, uh, their um, desire to get into a relationship. It's really, coaching essentially is helping someone go from point A to point B. Yeah. So like the person, the client, want something that they don't currently have or mm -hmm. that might be confidence or it might be a promotion like right it might be something vague or it right. might be something pragmatic but they want to get from here to here from a to b mm -hmm. and i help them through that process okay getting past any disempowering beliefs any fears or uh, things that are, any obstacles that are getting in their way i help uncover those yeah unpack them explore them release them and then take on more empowering beliefs mm -hmm. and get into action. So we get strategic about what action is going to best take you to that spot that you want to go to. Yeah. And then I encourage them, support them with resources mm -hmm. and whatever else they need and then hold them accountable. That's another big key part of it is just the accountability piece. Right. Because you, it's helpful to have someone outside of yourself check in. Like, did you do what you said you were going to do? Sure. If not, why not? Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, that, yeah, so that's kind of the vague picture of it. Yeah. And then to answer your question, the more specific work that I do with gay men that that where those themes come in, mm -hmm. right? So some gay men, it's not so much an issue. Right. It still might be underlying. And I look, I keep a keen eye out for that in mm -hmm. case anything to do with their sexuality or gender expression or identity is getting in the way. If that happens, then of course that comes out. Right. But then there's some clients who come to me who are specifically looking to become more comfortable with their sexuality, with their expression of gender, mm. with getting past the damage that was inflicted upon them growing up gay in a predominantly hetero society. Okay, gotcha. That's some beautiful work then. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the work that I get most excited about, I would say. Yeah. Um, and it definitely ties into my work around gender, too. I don't think I, I fully mentioned this, but I started a company in New York called Man Question. Okay. That does work around toxic masculinity mm. and just looks at ways that we can heal our relationship to being a man yeah. um, or our relationship to men in general. Sure. Um, and so some of that work comes into play with these clients that are looking to heal wounds around sexuality and, and gender. Okay. What, what are some of the most common, um, I guess, challenges that, that LGBT youth face, in your opinion, mm. in your experience, 
dealing with with different people, a variety of people. What are some of the most common ones that you've seen? Hmm. Yeah, I would say insecurity. Okay. Um, it's, it's insecurity. It's it's and it's coming often from comparing self to others. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially, so I'm I mean, kind of dead in here. Mm-hmm. Um, there is kind of this, especially amongst they say white gays. Uh-huh. Uh, there's this like body type. They expect mm-hmm. every white gay to be muscular mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or if not muscular than a twink and, uh-huh. and have no body fat. Yeah. And it's this very uh, disturbing gender st- or uh, body stereotype uh-huh. that is, is put on. Yeah. And I know it's very common and um, it's very prevalent. Yeah. So is that something that you, that you kind of see often? Is- yeah, for sure. I mean, one of our resources, one of our books in the the LGBT coaching program was Velvet Rage, um, which if you haven't read is definitely worth checking out because it talks about these specific challenges that gay men are up against. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them is certainly that like comparison, right? That there's like this A-list body type, A-list like list of things that you have to have, the right Gucci loafers Mm -hmm. and, you know, (laughs) sunglasses and all that. And it's like that keeping up with the Joneses thing is huge in the Mm -hmm. gay community. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's one piece. But I think... I think like insecurity just around they were living with a shame with what was perceived as a shameful secret. Okay. And and that has damaged their sense of security mm-hmm. and sense of safety in the world. And so with that damage comes insecurity and comes a lack of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's masked Mm-hmm. Right. With this like flamboyance or this this put this put on that I'm fabulous and OK right. and don't fuck with me. <laughs> right. And that's its own issue. Right. Right. I mean, it, it it kind of deals with lacking of confidence, but it's an overcompensation. Right. And so then you lose authenticity and mm-hmm. the power of vulnerability and open heartedness. And so it's navigating that, like, okay, we want you to step into your fierceness mm-hmm. and feel fabulous and feel powerful, yeah. but we also want it to happen in an authentic way yeah. that's coming from your truth. Right. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting thing to play with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, t- I totally, I'm envisioning that, not a specific person, but mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. someone who's overcompensating, trying to, mm-hmm. we, we, we want you to be a bad bitch, but don't yeah. don't overcompensate that yeah. and hide, hide your insecurities. Yeah. Um, what, what advice would you have um, if anyone was in your shoes um, as a child? So rumors being spread about you, specifically tailored to you, if anyone is listening to this and feeling connected, like, oh, maybe... Someone has spread a rumor about me recently, or mm. some, I'm getting threatened to be outed. What would you tell them now? Good question. <laughs> so, I would tell someone who was dealing with false rumors or real rumors, you know, the, the people saying that you're gay when you are gay, but you're not ready to tell people yeah. that. Um, to have courage mm-hmm. to potentially use this as a opportunity to stand in your truth mm-hmm. and face it head on. I mean, I did something else which worked for me at the time, which was I got a new start, right? Mm-hmm. I moved to a different school and that strategy was okay for me. Yeah. And in some cases, I, I think that is not a bad strategy. Sure. If you are in a place that's unsafe, 
find an opportunity to get to a place that is safe. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have the capacity to stand up for yourself and be courageous in the face of a rumor that has been spun as a negative shameful secret being revealed Mm -hmm. if you're able to stand in your truth and feel empowered that this isn't anything that you should be ashamed of or embarrassed about Mm -hmm. but this is a gift that you have to offer the world that would be the most empowered response to to that that i can imagine yeah Um, and and i guess the advice of like seeking support like Mm -hmm. there are so many resources out there now there's so many people who can help i can help Mm -hmm. this (laughs) other coach that i mentioned this coming out coach can help yeah there are people who have had this experience firsthand and they don't want to see it repeated Mm -hmm. and so they are going to jump at the opportunity to support a young person in, in that setting okay great well, we're coming up on 45 minutes, cool. so if you want to drop your socials and your, your website name and everything, yeah, where, yeah, where can people find you at? Yeah, so my private practice is called Willfully Living, um, and it, my, I spell my name with one L, so it's wil-fullyliving.com, uh, and on Insta, I'm Willfully Living, I'm also wilfish, F-I-S-H, 99 is my Insta. Um... Yeah, those are the best places to find me. And I have a YouTube, which is Willfully Living as well. Okay. Where I do some inspirational videos, stuff like that. Awesome. Great. Well, cool. Will, thank you for, for coming on the show today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you all for tuning into the show. As always, you can check us out at www.thealphabetmafia.com. And as a reminder, if you want to be featured on the blog, go ahead and email us at podcast at thealphabetmafia.com. Remember, you are not alone for anyone out there that is struggling, that doesn't feel like anyone cares, that might feel alone. Remember, you are not alone. You are the hero. You are loved. You are valid. And if you are in need of serious help, please, please, please check out thetrevorproject.org or give them a call at 1-866-488-7386. Again, remember, you are loved, and I want you to know that no matter what. Thank you all for tuning in the show. Have a beautiful morning, evening, whatever it is. Good night.